Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host and editor, Kerry Crowley. Chris, plenty of things to talk about on this week's podcast. We'll recap ASU's Thursday night senior night loss, 49-26, at the hands of the Utah Utes. We'll talk about what the Sun Devils can do from here moving forward. And we'll also talk about the ASU basketball program, which kicked off its season with two wins over the weekend, one on Friday night over Portland State and one on Sunday evening over Cal Poly. But, of course, we'll start things off with discussions about the football program. ASU dropping to 5-5 five and five on the season ahead of its final two games against Washington and Arizona. The Huskies also dropped a game for the first time this weekend, but Arizona still looking like ASU's best opportunity to get bowl eligible this season. On Thursday night, ASU had things close at halftime. It was 21-20 in favor of Utah, but the Sun Devils really fell apart in the second half. They lost the second half 28-6, ultimately dropping the game 49-26 in a really disappointing defensive performance for the Sun Devils, and that has been a theme for much of the season. Uh, Have we talked about that before? I'm not sure. That's why I asked you. Yeah, I I think so. Um, Then they tried something different in this game, even more conservative than they have, and the trend line has been more conservative this season, Kerry, but uh, everybody knows Todd Graham is – uh, historically been a hyper-aggressive type of a defense, a lot of six-man pressures, probably more than anybody uh, nationally, any other team, uh, earlier on in his tenure when he had defensive backs that could enable that. Of course, this year they, they don't. Uh, they've, they've gone a lot more conservative, um, and it still hasn't prevented them from giving up more big plays than any team nationally. Their last in 30-plus plays resulting in touchdowns uh, or, or longer from scrimmage. And um, even though they got out to a really good start, 13 nothing, seemed like things were going really well for them. Uh, they had three in the first half alone. Kareem Orr was in the wrong technique. He should have been playing off coverage. Instead, he's in press man. He gets run by without getting a bump on a touchdown pass. 60-some yards, I believe it was. 64 yards to Raylon Singleton. Right, and then we had uh, Maurice Chandler... Uh, getting beat on a post corner to the pylon on a beautifully bl- thrown ball by Troy Williams, who really kind of struggled through the, the first quarter and into the second quarter before he started to get it going on some of these uh, types of throws. Uh, and then you also had a breakdown just before the half, which was totally inexcusable from Deshavon Hayes, um, not understanding that he's they just lost his his coverage assignment and the guy's 30 yards away from anybody in the end zone um that's kind of when things started to spiral out of control they i mean the cover four is is a very relaxed you know the whole purpose is to keep everything in front of you uh, and inside of you anyways it's almost like a not really a prevent but trending in that direction type of approach so they give up these big plays uh, we know tackling has been a problem, right? So so DJ Calhoun comes in, doesn't wrap up, tries to deliver a blow on Joe Williams, the Utah running back who's been averaging 228 yards from scrimmage in his last three games since he came back from retirement. <laughs> and um, a play that probably should have been a few-yard gain um, goes for another long, explosive touchdown run by Utah. With uh, On that play, you had Armand Perry, uh, and Deshavon Hayes not being able to take the angle or get off of uh, a uh, blocker 
And um, then, of course, you had in the second half when ASU was really kind of more in a desperate situation, Manny Wilkins throws his second interception, which is a pick six. Uh, turnovers have been a big problem for ASU, not just in terms of um, not generating enough as they have in the past, but also committing turnovers. You have Manny Wilkins now, seven turnovers on the season, seven uh, interceptions, I should say, on the season, seven touchdown throws, two big ones in this game, one the pick six, the one in the first half was about as bad as play as we've seen from ASU quarterback this season when he was just really, really late. And then he lofted the ball uh, into the end zone and it was easily intercepted. So it's been some of the same thematic things throughout the whole season, Kerry. You know, when you walk through this game chronologically, you have to start with the first play of the game. Troy Williams, the Utah quarterback, hitting the helmet by the snap from Utah's center. George Lee falls on top of it, and ASU has a gift wrap scoring opportunity and can't capitalize because of a Wilkins interception. And that interception came on a play-action boot. It was a beautifully designed play by Chip Lindsey. J.J. Wilson was wide open in the end zone for a good two to three seconds. Wilkins didn't see it, whether he was working through the correct progression or not. We can't be sure. But when he did decide to throw that ball, you mentioned it already, he lofted it in the air, and that's something you can't do because as Wilson's working toward the sidelines, you have to presume that there's a coverage defender who's going to be there, regardless of if it's man or zone, who's going to see that throw and make a play. This is not a 5- to 10-yard throw. This was a 20-yard throw that Wilkins was trying to make from where he was throwing, and it was just an easy interception for the Utes. Well, Marcus Williams is an opportunistic, really savvy veteran, free safety who plays over the top. Um, There's only two receivers that he could have gone to on this play. You had the climb route from J.J. Wilson working from a three-point alignment. You know that when they put J.J. Wilson in that type of an alignment, it it hints that they're going to try to throw the football to him because that's what they've done, right? Uh, The other tight end was Cole. He stays in the block because they're in bookends. And then they have the other route is basically a curl to the end zone corner. They're trying to occupy Williams there. But he's reading Wilkins the whole time. And um, Wilkins takes far too long. The hand is up, waving in the end zone. I'm open, I'm open, I'm open. Oh, I'm not open anymore. And Wilkins takes the extra time to get his feet set when he should have seen it earlier. And then it was a very casual type of a throw into the end zone that Williams was able to undercut easily. And, And even if he didn't undercut it, the defender had already caught up and got back in phase with, with JJ Wilson. So you you can't do that. It's just a lack of awareness or vision or something on Wilkins's part that has been demonstrated relatively consistently through the season. You said that Williams is an opportunistic defender. I think our point here is that it didn't take an opportunistic defender to make that play. No. Almost any defensive back in the Pac-12 could have made it. But nevertheless, ASU scores on three other first quarter possessions, including once when there's a fumble at midfield. Liam Okiola, I believe, was responsible for forcing that fumble. Or re- recovering he recovered that. it. He recovered that fumble, gave ASU good field position again. So the Sun Devils take a 13-0 lead. But Wilkins, uh, in, in that first quarter and on those plays, had demonstrated somewhat of an ability 
to try and make too much in the pocket. He'd been scrambling too much. He hadn't seen throws that were probably there. And that Wilson example wasn't the only one. And this kind of gets back to a conversation we've had at different points during the season where we, we see Manny Wilkins is scrambling too much to run rather than scrambling to throw because earlier, uh, or in the in that first quarter, he had an opportunity to hit a wide open Nikhil Harry for a touchdown, but he didn't see him because he had his head down scrambling. So let's go through this, right? The ASU gets a gift wrapped uh, ball that's in scoring territory on the first play of the game that they're not able to convert on because of the Wilkins interception. Then uh, Utah's second series, Utah gives the ball away on a good defensive play by ASU where they strung strung it out, and then it was a, a late pitch that was kind of off. Uh, between Troy Williams and, and, and Joe Williams. Uh, Mokiola is able to recover that. And then um, ASU has an opportunity, third and nine, they're uh, inside the red zone. Uh, and uh, Manny Wilkins is is uh, starts to scramble because uh, he feels pressure in the pocket. It's a little bit premature that he scrambles. That's a tendency. But then he tucks the ball in his left non-throwing arm as he's running Nikhil Harry does a great job of freelancing and turning his route into something where he's able to run into the end zone immediately parallel to Manny Wilkins. So this is something that should be seen. Nikhil Harry has his arm up saying, I'm open. He has a trail defender who's two steps behind or so on his hip and nobody out in front for the first maybe several seconds that Wilkins should have been able to see this. But... He's not even looking. And so the Manny Wilkins is very mobile. He's elusive in the pocket. But on a third and nine situation where you're nowhere near going to be able to get anywhere close to the first down, you have to understand the time and situation and realize my only chance to move the chains or get a score here is by throwing the football. Well, you can't throw the football when it's tucked in your other hand and you're not seeing your star true freshman receiver running open in the end zone. Manny Wilkins ends up running out of bounds at a four or five yard loss as he's getting pressured uh, out. Well, he should probably have just thrown the football away at that point, which he can't do because the ball's in the wrong arm, right? But then after the play, Nikhil Harry, if you watch it again, he claps his hands in frustration after the play is over because he knows that it was a missed opportunity. He's a, he's open in, in the end zone for a touchdown. Manny Wilkins has to become at least force himself to try to scramble to still throw the football as opposed to run the football. We know he, he's susceptible and opens himself up to getting hurt and injured, taking hits. He's sliding more. Okay, that's a, that's good for him. But you're still negating this asset that you have that you can utilize in a, in a successful fashion. And I, I don't know how you overcome that unless you force yourself to do it. And ASU gets a field goal on this uh, the next play. But that's three points when there was an opportunity to have 14 points from the first two possessions of the game. And, of course, that's crucial when your defense is not good. And in the first quarter, the Sun Devils' defense was good. Only two rushing yards for the Utes. So ASU accomplished its goal of making Utah one-dimensional, which we've talked about should that be a goal of the Sun Devils, and that's still up for debate. But they did in the first quarter, and Troy Williams didn't have good footwork. He wasn't effective in the pocket against ASU's pass rush in the first quarter. But Utah strikes back, and it does so on a 64-yard touchdown to Raylon Singleton. And that's what Todd Graham talked about, one-play touchdowns 
where ASU gets this 13-0 lead, and sure, it could have been more, but they still had that lead, and all of a sudden, it's cut in half because Kareem Orr is playing press coverage when he's supposed to be playing and bailing into a cover four scheme, and he's beat over the top, and that's, again, a play that ASU just can't have, and it's had far too often this season. On the other side, uh, the other corner position, Maurice Chandler was playing the proper technique. You see that he's about two to three yards off of where Creamore is playing, and Singleton had a release to the outside on basically a fade uh, where he just runs past Creamore. If Creamore is two yards off, he has that extra buffer to be able to react to that route, and he's he's in phase pinned. Uh, it was a well-thrown football, the best footwork and delivery of the ball that we had seen from Troy Williams to that point, and you could even possibly make a case that that gave him confidence. Uh, and that he was able to then build off of that throw in a way that led to sub- some of the subsequent plays. If that's an incompleted pass, I think that also has the ability to change the, the that whole flow of the game at that point. And so there's just, it's a few plays, but it just seems like ASU's been consistently at the wrong end of these plays. And if you're Todd Graham, you can come into a press conference after, like he has four weeks in a row, and you could say, oh, you know, we just we did good on 90% of our plays, but then we had just uh, these five to 10 plays where we had these catastro- catastrophic breakdowns. Well, on one hand, I understand that that means that you're probably a better defense than Oregon, which is getting just gashed on every single play and has no uh, identity or philosophy that's going to have any success. But on the other hand, it doesn't necessarily matter if uh, five, five of your plays... Uh, our our touchdowns that the other team has that are 30, 40, 50, 70 yards, you're you're going to lose unless you have just a phenomenal offense and you're going to be able to win in some shootouts, which you don't want anyways, and ASU doesn't doesn't even have that situation. I mean, how, how many trick plays have we seen from... Well, nine players have thrown the football this season, We've seen, and only just, three of those are quarterbacks. They're just trick plays. Nikhil Harry, who maybe had the most impressive individual play of the season a 31-yard touchdown run that was supposed to be his second throw of the game. Remember, this was after he already had this amazing pass on the run that he completed to Fred Gamage in rhythm that uh, helped enable one of their uh, better drives of, of the game, right? So then, um, you know, there was the, so there's the two hairy th- attempts to throw the football. The second one, he turns into a 30-yard touchdown run where he evades five players somehow and gets into the end zone. The guy's playing like, like already like a stud. And then um, a two-point conversion attempt, which was debatable that they went for that early again. Um, but that um, that was a trick play uh, that that didn't materialize. It's just they're they're really having to try to pull the, all these rabbits out of the hat because their offense and they've had injuries and they've had continuity issues. Absolutely, but um, you got to play much better defense if you're going to be able to overcome some of these things. Well, Troy Williams certainly gained confidence on that throw. He was a different quarterback after the 64-yard touchdown pass, but he didn't need a whole lot of confidence to throw his third touchdown pass of the half, which was a 17-yard pass to Singleton, who in the sp- they were in the red zone, yeah. and no one was within 30 yards, 20 yards of Raylon Singleton for coverage for ASU. He came completely wide open, and Gump Hayes just never got back. Put it this way, of the 22 players who were on the field— he was the furthest from any other player, <laughs> right? And he was sitting there in the end zone as a receiver. Deshavon Hayes, it, it, that wasn't even a complicated thing. He, like, bled over to the number two receiver when he had the number one. 
it doesn't matter. I don't. I don't even know if they were in man or zone. But if they were in zone, it's his. It's his area. If, and if it was man, if it's there his was man. man, it's his man. So what are you? What are you even thinking? You know, I don't. I don't understand. It's just. It's just a, a, a mental lapse, or, or or just an totally unaware of what. It's just totally inexcusable. And um, again, though, um, converted running back to defensive back. He's been playing the position for a year plus. Is it really his fault ultimately that ASU needs to rely on Deshaun Hayes at this stage? You can blame him, but the, the the bigger blame still has to go to the people who need to put him in that situation, which is ASU's defensive coaching staff. But yeah, that that was uh, that that came. That was to me that drive was the the signal of impending doom for ASU because third touchdown. Of the half, 20, gives them 21 points. They had done nothing really in the first quarter, uh, and and you just had a sense that that just given what ASU has been like this season, that that was going to lead to a continuation of sort of some of these things uh, into the second half, and that's what ended up happening. Well, the Sun Devils could go into the locker room and still say, "Hey, we gave up." Two or three big plays in the first half, but that was it because they had limited Utah on the ground. Joe Williams didn't look like the same running back he had in his previous three games. The problem on Utah's first drive of the second half, Joe Williams rips off an 82-yard touchdown run where three or four different ASU players made critical errors. Yeah, I mean, they so they Utah beats ASU at the point of attack. He slips through. DJ Calhoun is coming at an angle and not even out leveraged by Williams on the play just comes in and tries to deliver a blow as opposed to getting your arms around the hips to thighs of the player, which would have at least slowed him down enough to enable somebody else to rally to the football. Something that Todd Graham's talked about, by the way, Um, you at least got to allow your help defenders to get there. And then you had, uh, Utah receivers were blocking on that play. Deshavon Hayes and Armand Perry, and Armand Perry couldn't get off of his block. Hayes had a bad angle that he also was wasn't able to get there. One or one or two of those players have to also be able to get to the football in that situation. But those are secondary mistakes. That DJ Calhoun is a veteran inside linebacker at this point. You know you have to make the tackle. And and Calhoun has been he's a very demonstrative type of player. There were several times in this game where he celebrated these bigger hits. Okay, that's well and good, but it, but if you celebrate a hit that one of them was a first down and he, they still celebrated another one. Okay, he had a couple good plays, but it's really for not if you can't make a tackle on a sixty some odd yard run from scrimmage. That's your gap your assignment your responsibility and um and this uh, again is uh, a number of times that we've talked about very similar types of situations for asu and uh ultimately whether that's recruiting whether that's player development whether that's scheme well it all funnels to the same place you know and uh they got a big problem now they got uh, they got likely five-game losing streak they're going to be staring at. Last time that's happened, Kerry, was 2011. Dennis Erickson's last year, by the way. They started 5-1 and one that year, same record as ASU started this year. And then they uh, things kind of fell apart 
people will remember that season. ASU had some pretty serious injuries. Brandon McGee, Omar Bolden lost before the season um, to knee and Achilles injuries. So there's some parallels there. I'm not saying that we're headed for uh, a coaching change in any stretch of the, of the imagination. I don't. I don't have any reporting to do that. We're, that we're, we're putting that out there or something that we're hearing at this stage of the process. But uh, if by some chance ASU isn't able to beat Washington and then somehow loses in the Territorial Cup at Arizona, that'd be six straight losses to end the season. That's no bowl game. That's really a, a, a absolute catastrophe. Uh, in light of how this season started and the fact that ASU had a disappointing six and seven season last year. And, and it really opens up uh, Pandora's box of questions about where this program's at. But keep in mind, after that Joe Williams touchdown, pretty much everyone in the stadium could get the sense that the game was Utah's. And it was only an eight-point game at that point. And that's because of the way that ASU has played defensively this season. But also keep in mind the way ASU played offensively against the Utes. They couldn't stay in front of the chains in the second half. 42 of ASU's 79 plays were for no gain or for negative yardage. 11 sacks, 22 tackles for loss. That's a catastrophic performance up front. And Todd Graham said today that Utah blitzes in different ways. They bring a a lot of wave pressure. But it was the two defensive ends for the Utes who had the most dominant performances of any players on the field on Thursday night. Yeah, and those players are? Peter Tamoa Panu. There we go. Peter T. Peter T. And Hunter Dimmick, who set the program record with five sacks. So, look, you you probably, if you're listening to this podcast, right, you probably – listen to our earlier podcast ahead of the Utah game. Maybe you read our uh, expert preview of the game. This wasn't surprising to that this was going to happen. Hunter Demick is four years. He's been around. He's hurt ASU multiple times in the past. Uh, there, there was the year in which uh, Tyler Solka said some things about him not being able to be a physical pass rusher, and then Hunter Demick midlined him, pushed him right back, and got a sack on the first play of the game a couple years ago. Uh, Peter Talman, Peter Talman, Tamoa Pinu, Tamoa Pinu, Peter T. I'm gonna eventually get that. <laughs> Maybe when he's in the NFL draft. But um, I'm just happy that Lua Fatasaga didn't have a great game. Lua Fatasaga, <laughs> I'm better at for some reason. I don't know. But uh, yeah, we were talking with the Utah SIDs up in the box about how some of these players didn't make plays, and that maybe made it easier on our jobs. But but no, I mean they had it. They had a two-man rush, one time. The infamous two-man rush, where where they drop everybody. They rush their they rush two players, and Peter T gets uh, on an inside stem, and Steve Miller isn't identifying it, not helping. There, Peter, Steve Miller, you know he he's had some really great plays. He had a really nice run play on a Kalen Balaj touchdown early, where he gets the first block, climbs into the second block, takes out a linebacker. But then another play, he gets thrown aside by a Utah player on a sack. And, and ASU is now at the bottom of the Pac-12 and sacks allowed. It compounds the problem that you have, Kerry, when Manny Wilkins already is a little bit gun-shy, a little bit tending to get happy feet and tuck and run, when you also can't provide him a great pocket integrity. And, and and when he doesn't have confidence, probably, whether he's not going to admit that, but the way he's playing, it demonstrates that he doesn't really have confidence that the pocket's going to be really secure for him. 
and that exacerbates the problem that he has, which then gives you a whole other bag of worms that you have there to deal with. And um, it's a problem. You know, I mean, you can look at it a couple different ways. The glass half full perspective would be Quinn Bailey, Zach Robertson, Steve Miller. Hey, we're playing our young guys right now. That's going to help them out down the road. I think it probably will. But when you're trying to not sacrifice all the momentum that you've built up in your program, all the goodwill in your in your community, the things that really enable and optimize your your recruiting, which Todd Graham himself personally said in the last week are winning football games. And then you go and you lose four games in a row in October and November. You're playing Washington. You're, you're last nationally in uh, passing yards allowed on a pace to be the worst in history. These things create headwinds for your program that are very, very difficult for you to lean in against and be able to overcome. Another big issue for ASU in this game, it had those two turnovers. Not to be ominous or anything. <laughs> it had those two turnovers at the beginning of the game. One was gift-wrapped by Utah, of course. Really, both of them, when you, when you, when you think about it. I mean, That's true. Two, two unforced errors that were mm-hmm. made. And then the rest of the way, ASU doesn't really come close to forcing a turnover, and this has been a theme for the Sun Devils this season. They're minus three in turnover margin all overall this year. Manny Wilkins has now thrown as many interceptions as he has touchdowns, which is seven and seven. And these protection issues that you just spoke of, they exacerbate the problem that Wilkins already has. He's prone to throwing the ball into into places he shouldn't. He's thrown to scrambling and per, potentially fumbling, uh, as quarterbacks sometimes do. And it becomes a bigger issue when you can't force turnovers on the other side. Well, he has Manny Wilkins, seven interceptions against seven touchdowns, first year as a starter. We've talked a lot in the past about Jake Plummer uh, struggling earlier on in his, in his ASU tenure, needing to figure out, you know, work through some things, get it figured out. Uh, got better as time went on. He had really only one great season at ASU. But you, you look at the success rate and what other teams in the Pac-12 are getting from some of their quarterbacks, right? I mean, the it's the difference is is you know, Stark would be an understatement. The, the, the difference is is so eye opening that you almost can't stop thinking about it when you look at it. And and so let's just go through it. I mean, Jake Browning, Washington, right? They just lost their first game of the season, but they're a top ten team. Uh, he's thrown thirty five touchdowns, five interceptions. Uh, Luke Falk, well, they're now in the driver's seat in the Pac-12 North, right? Um, they got to play Colorado this week, and then they got an Apple Cup game, so it's going to be hard. But they got to, they they can easily win the, the Pac-12 North, win the Pac-12. Second longest winning streak in the country, by the way, Washington State. Right, <laughs> a team that lost to a to a F. Uh, CS opponent uh, to be to begin the season, which is unbelievable. Thirty-three touchdowns, six interceptions for Luke Falk. Uh, how about uh, Sam Darnold, starter for the first time this year, young player? No, he's um, a year younger than Manny Wilkins, right? Uh, Sam Darnold is 22 touchdowns, six interceptions. Um, you also have um, Colorado's quarterback Cephalufau. He's got a 10 to three ratio. You have Davis Webb, 33 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. So ASU's not generating the turnovers on defensively that it has in the past when it's been very successful. Part of that is is because they're not able to pressure as much or they're not trying to pressure as much because of their defensive concerns that they're trying to be protective and still not working. 
and then they're not um, protecting the football, not taking care of the football, particularly at their quarterback position. Seven interceptions. It's not like that's a lot, but but it, but it's a lot. It's he's missed a few games, or you know, been limited in a couple games, right? And seven touchdowns on the season from your starting quarterback. That's downright anemic. And th- those two things together equal a minus three turnover margin for ASU, which is tied for 10th in the league. They've generated uh, the ninth most turnovers in the Pac-12. Uh, Todd Graham himself said today, press conference, um, you look at those top four, and that's the most predictive thing that there are in the Pac-12. Well, you look at the top four this year. Who are they, Kerry? What, who are the top four teams in turnover margin in the league? Washington, Washington State, Colorado, and USC, maybe? Is, is I don't even know four? if it's, I think I think it's Washington, Washington State, Colorado, and uh, Utah. Yeah, Utah. It is Utah. Utah's third. And, and Utah's, had, Utah's committed more turnovers, but they've generated a lot. And and ASU, meanwhile, it, it hasn't. And so that that needs to get corrected. They said they work on it every day in practice, takeaways, ball security. It's not translated this year. So um, just just one of the number of things that are major, major issues for the Sun Devils. So now ASU 5-5 five and five goes up to play Washington, a team coming off its first loss of the season to USC. And then the following week, short week of rest, they go and take on Arizona. Arizona playing up at Oregon State this week, looking for its first Pac-12 victory. So if By the, the way, Wildcats get that. The, wor- the last team in the Pac-12 is probably – the worst team might be Arizona. It's Arizona or, or Oregon State, right? Yes. Arizona's last in turnover margin. There you go. That's, that's the big indicator. So what that says to me is November 25th, whoever wins the turnover margin probably wins that game. Yeah. And uh, maybe maybe they'll just keep giving it up to each other. You know, I don't <laughs> that know. would assume that they could take it away from each other, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't think of it like that, but yeah, that's true. Uh, and yeah, even though Arizona's had just just uh, awful crowds of late, you know the Territorial Cup is a different sort of an animal. Very oftentimes, the team that um, is not the better of the two teams still ends up winning that game. And there's going to be some desperation on two levels and we're getting ahead of Washington, but we kind of have an idea about how Washington's going to go. But you, you have Rich Rodriguez, who's possibly trying to save his job. Todd Graham, maybe he's going to be trying to think, maybe that's going to creep into his mind about that. But then also needing that win to get a bowl game, which is just crucial to get those 15 practices. Basically, basically like having a whole extra spring uh, football and something's got to give there. Mm-hmm. And um, the entire Sun Devil Source crew will be on hand for that. <laughs> yes, indeed. So ASU football starts the season hot and is significantly cooled off. ASU basketball started the season this weekend, and I don't want to foreshadow. We'll talk about their upcoming schedule soon, but they started the season hot, 2-0, and victories over Portland State and Cal Poly, but things were a lot closer on Sunday night than they probably should have been, Chris. ASU ends up pulling away late to uh, put up a lopsided margin, but at one point in the second half, the Sun Devils were down against a Cal Poly team that was picked to finish last in its conference in the Big West. Yep, and the Portland State game was actually relatively close for a stretch too. Uh, early on, ASU was uh, trailing eight to two, 
to start that game. It was kind of a bad start, but then they exploded, pulled away. Uh, Portland State picked to finish seventh or eighth in the Big Sky Conference, which is about as bad as it gets uh, as far as a one of the Western leagues at the Division One level. Um, and then you have Cal Poly. It's a nine-team league. They're, they're picked by the media poll to finish ninth. So that's a little bit better league, but that's a team that ASU should pretty easily dispatch with. Uh, Pepperdine uh, beat uh, Cal Poly by 10 points in their season opener. Uh, and, and ASU was trailing early in the second half. There was at one point in the game, Cal Poly had made nine out of 19 three-pointers. Looked like they were going to have a chance to do something that few teams have done at Wells Fargo Arena in terms of a shooting performance. Um, and uh, yet ASU responded with a 57-point second-half effort which is the most points that uh, the team has had under Hurley in any half this uh, year plus two games, right? Um, and so they, they definitely responded well, but it's going to get a lot tougher now because they have set up themselves up with the toughest non-conference schedule that I can remember ASU having. Uh, there's Northern Iowa immediately on the horizon. That's their next game, but then this team has... Kentucky and Purdue and Creighton and San Diego State and UNLV uh, also out there looming and um, even finishing above 500 in um, their non-conference schedule would be maybe a, a pretty decent accomplishment. If they're able to finish a few games ahead of 500, that'd be a great accomplishment uh, for uh, for the team and, and really that's because of two reasons, uh, and that it, that those would be a lack of size, competitive size, and a lack of depth. They're really, this is a team that's go, that goes maybe seven or eight deep, and that's about it. Yeah, over the weekend, Torian Graham came off the bench for ASU. He ended up starting the second half in last night's ballgame against Cal Poly, but he was really the only bench scorer that ASU had, and even in recent seasons when the Sun Devils haven't performed very well, they have been able to go seven, eight deep consistent scorers at the very least off the bench, but right now it, it doesn't look like they have much of a rotation past six or seven deep, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, they don't have Romello White available, and they thought that they might be able to, to have him. And they're going to need rapid development from Jethro Tashumpa, uh, the freshman, because he's got size and other players don't on this roster. Yeah, he's the only um, guy who's athletically not going to be out of place as a post player uh, on this team. You, you have... Obi Oleka starting at the five, but he's really a stretch four man. Ideally, he's doing a pretty good job rebounding and trying to compete on the interior, but he's out of place. He's generously listed at six eight. Um, you're starting a, basically a, what amounts to a four guard lineup with Sam Cunliffe, who's really a wing guard type of a player. He can play the two, the three, but he's really playing the four out of position as a starter. And um, the as you mentioned, um, Torian Graham is their only offense off the bench right now. And this is a player who wasn't even on the roster last year and wasn't even working out with the team. 
because he had uh, gotten in trouble, and it looked like he might not be back at ASU this year playing. Um, but apparently he had a really good offseason summer, bought into what they were asking, and they gave decided to give him a chance. Kerry, I, I don't even know where these, this team would be right now if they didn't have Torian Graham because it would be like just no offense off the bench, a bunch of players that would have to play 30-plus minutes, and an absence of size. And you mentioned Jethro Tashumpa. This is a player who's um, – he was the leading shot blocker at the NBA Players Association camp, which is the, the best, biggest uh, recruiting camp that they have annually. Um, last year, he was a four-star prospect by scout. He's 6'9", maybe 6'10", borderline. But he has a 7'5", wingspan. Great timing, shot blocker, but he's going to be foul prone. Offensively, he's raw. He's developing. It's going to take a. It's going to take a while. He's not going to give you that much on that side. And um, then they have Ramon Villa, who, who's arrived from Spain. And uh, you know, quite frankly, I don't. I don't think that he has much athletic upside to him as a prospect. And so, what he's going to be able to give you is going to be very limited. And if you had guys that you really liked up front there, he probably wouldn't be in your rotation. Andre Adams is the only other big that you have who's 6'9", 6'10", also like Deshumpa, but he's coming off of his second ACL and he's not athletically all the way back there. So we're going to be looking at a lot of um, smaller lineups, undermanned play, and ASU is going to have to be keyed by its backcourt of Trey Holder and Shannon Evans. Of course, Shannon Evans sat out last season post-transfer from Buffalo following Bobby Hurley. Uh, he was arguably their best player when they went to the tournament two years ago uh, out of the Mid-American Conference. And that's a good backcourt. But um, if you can't push the ball as much as you want to, you can't play as up-tempo as you want to because you don't have the depth, you don't have the size. Um, and maybe you even need to play more of a ball-control, lower-possession game uh, just given some of these disadvantages that you're going to have against some of these opponents, it creates a, a really a, a challenging path to win basketball games. And so I'll, I'll be very curious to see how Bobby Hurley manages this team as the year unfolds. Well, the good news for ASU through two games of the season, it's very clear that Trey Holder is going to be a great point guard for oh, yeah. ASU this season. He's played well, a pair of 20-point games. He's already showing that he can lead this offense. More leadership. He's got to get better increasingly at being a vocal presence with the team on and off the floor. I think I saw a little bit more of that in the first couple games. Defensively is where he's has the most ground to improve. Uh, Shannon Evans helps in that regard because now Shannon Evans is a quicker, is a very just a very quick, frenetic type of a player. When he's committed to defending on the ball, he has a chance to be very, very uh, disruptive there. That allows you to play Trey Holder off the ball a little bit more, or you could switch those guys up to allow them to get a little bit more rest where you're playing one of them on the ball, one off, and then you're switching to them because it gives you more versatility. That maybe allows you to play more minutes with those guys. But Trey Holder, uh, 23 points in the opener. I think he had 24 points uh, on Sunday. Uh, this is a guy whose career high prior to this was 26 points. So uh, he's been very – he shot the ball really well off the bounce, off the catch. Uh, he's, he's facilitating. He's getting uh, to where he wants with the basketball. Uh, this is a team that, that is going to have to make a lot of perimeter, unguarded, catch-and-shoot opportunities 
to be able to be successful, and they need some of their young players to really kind of step up now. Those young players and those newcomers, let's run through each of them really quickly and talk about uh, your thoughts on these players, what, what ASU fans can expect from these players this season. So you already talked a little bit about Shannon Evans, that frenetic defensive style. What does he bring on the offensive end? Well, he's a good shooter. He doesn't have really classic mechanics. Shoots it kind of low from the chest, and there's a little flick to it. But he makes shots um, you know, off the pole or, or off the catch. He has extreme energy and he and he has a magnetic personality he's somebody that really does a good job with his teammates uh they can feed off of him in a practice and in a game setting uh he has the ability to be a good defender he's he he's got some quick twitch athleticism to him uh he's got to be he's got to be he's got to play as smart as he can because sometimes some of the decision making gets a little bit uh, outside of what sh- he should be doing, and I think that's because of how emotional that he is and the way he tends to uh, wear his, his himself on his sleeve. Moving up a level is is going to be uh, an adjustment for him. Even though he was very successful, it was at a mid major level in a league where the players were not as um, athletic as he is. Uh, you're going to on a night in night out basis have guys that are relatively comparable now so that that's part of the adjustment um but i I think at at worst he's going to be one of asu's three or four better players and someone that they're going to need to get a lot of production from torian graham can he be more than just the sixth man for this team well i think that might come down ultimately to to how sam cunliffe progresses um there, there, there may come a time when ASU decides to go even a little bit smaller with Torian Graham in the lineup in, 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 instead of Sam Cunliffe or maybe instead of Cody Justice. But I think he's, he's you know, just given that how, how they only have one perimeter weapon off the bench and that's who it is, even if he's coming off the bench, he's probably going to still play 25, 30 minutes a game. And so I don't necessarily think that it matters whether – you're doing it that way or the other, I would probably still bring him off the bench unless you really start to have issues with Justice or Cunliffe. Slow first weekend for Sam Cunliffe, but what can he bring to the table? Well, ASU hasn't had hardly any guys that have his combination of length, ball skills, and lift. Uh, He can play above the rim. He makes three-point shots. He handles it like a two-guard, and he does all these things at six-foot-six. Now, I feel like he hasn't had a lot of confidence out of the gate in the first two games. He's been a little bit too um, passive on the floor. I think he needs to try to be a little bit more assertive, work himself in a little bit better. Um, the second half, as the game was kind of out of reach, and maybe he, I think he maybe relaxed a little bit, and then he did a couple of those things. Um, Bobby Hurley said after this game on Sunday – with kind of a wry smile, Sam's going to be okay. And and that's because he's just really too talented not to be. Uh, my opinion, Kerry, is just the tools and athleticism package, probably the best that ASU's had since James Harden on the wing. And then the final two guys, the big men, Tashumpa and Villa. Yeah, so um, Ramon Villa, again, they get him from Spain. He's skilled, 6'8", but he runs the floor more like a 7-footer. Doesn't really change ends well. He's uh, he plays below the rim, so he's not going to be a guy who gets rebounds out of his area. Um, 
He's going to have to be smart on defensive help situations, weak side rebounding, uh, use his body creatively. He has some skill level. The question is, are you is it, are you do you have enough quick twitch to be able to get off your shots and be able to be creative to score the basketball? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I don't see him as a guy who has much of a ceiling. I think you know maybe a higher floor, low ceiling type of a player that you're going to get as a role player for his career. Uh, Andre Adams is, you know, he practiced last year after he kind of came back a little bit from the knee surgery, or really I should say earlier this year. Uh, He's probably still a year out. And Jethro Tashumpa is, again, the shot blocker and um, a guy who's really a a project on the offensive side of the football. He's kind of immature He's got to do some growing up and, and, and developing, but they, they need to get something from him and or via uh, this season. Of course, they also have Vitaly Scheibel, who's got an ACL injury. He's sitting out this year. You mentioned Romello White earlier, Kerry. He's probably their best offensive post player right now, but the problem is he's academically ineligible, and it's almost like a forced academic redshirt. And this is a program that didn't sign a big uh, in the early fall signing period, they signed two top 100 players. One is a 6'6 wing uh, who's going to be a good addition. One is a point guard. Uh, those guys are going to be good. They're not this year. That's Again, they're going to be seniors in high school. Then the following year, by the spring, ASU needs to add two more post players. And ideally, one of those would be a junior college player or a postgraduate transfer. So you've had the opportunity to see the Sun Devils twice. They're 2-0, and albeit against weak competition. What's your season forecast for this team? Well, uh, my my Pac-12 ballot that I had this year, 27 voters, I, I picked ASU to finish 10th in the Pac-12. Right now, I think that 10th or 11th are the two most likely outcomes when I look around the league. There is a fair amount of parity, and, and so there's, a, there's potential to move up. Um, it's not like they're locked in below say the eighth or ninth level i don't necessarily think that there there is the ability to maybe climb out if they have this if they if everything goes well for them but i think given that the the non-conference schedule is very difficult in the league play they they're going to be hard pressed to win more than five or six games i i look at this team as a 10 to 12 win basketball team uh, that probably is able to get a lot better the following year when they return Trey Holder, Shannon Evans as seniors, Cody Justice, uh, uh, um, Sam Cunliffe, Jethro Tashumpa, Andre Adams, Ramon Villa, and then they're able to supplement their roster with a couple of other players. And I think that's that's going to be their best opportunity probably to get to an NCAA appearance in, in, in the first three or four years of, of the Hurley era. So a couple of different subjects on the show today, ASU football followed by ASU basketball. The Sun Devil football team back on the road this week. The Sun Devil basketball team will take on Northern Iowa in its next game. But that will do it for us here at the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for host, or excuse me, for publisher Chris Cartman. I continue to try and call you a host here. I'm host and editor Kerry Crowley. Thank you so much for joining us this week.